0: Here, welcome to another episode of the Halftime Report, powered by Sports Cannabis. I'm your host, D-Ray. We are here today with a very special guest, Anna Simmons. Anna, first of all, thank you for coming on.
1: Thank you for having me. I just want to say, uh, last name Simons, rhymes with diamonds. Very common. That's okay.
0: I'm, I appreciate you. you a real one. You're, you're the person that tells somebody they got blocked in their teeth at dinner. I appreciate that. So, Anna Simons, I'm so sorry. That's We we usually, I usually let the the, the guests introduce themselves as soon as I just bought your last name. I would love if you do that. I understand the rugby background, the background in public speaking as far as cannabis and psychedelics go, but I know I can't do your introduction better justice. So please tell us who you are and assignments, assignments. I got it. I promise.
1: Thank you so much. No, um, Yeah. Hi everyone. I'm Anna Simons. I am a retired rugby player. Um, I played for 20 years, um, starting in college. And then I played, um, a season in Australia. I played, uh, in the women's division one and then women's premier league. Once that was formed back in like 2009, uh, I also have played touch rugby, um, which is its own separate sport and, have dabbled in MMA and mixed martial arts as a, just a side hobby for a couple of years. I've also become a cannabis and plant medicine advocate in, you know, I don't know what's been a while now. It's been at least five years that I've been publicly talking about this. I've worked as a cannabis science educator. And these days I am the program manager for the Etheridge Foundation, which is Melissa Etheridge's nonprofit, supporting research into plant medicine and nature based treatments for opioid use disorder. So I do a lot of different things.
0: I love that. I love that. You're a renaissance woman. I love that. I'm the same way. It's it's, uh, I think that when you get out there, you realize how much life there is, especially when you're an athlete, you're used to putting so much into one thing. When you get outside of it and you realize how much life there is out there, you're like, I like this, I like this. You turn into like a kid in a candy store when it comes to to hobbies and crafts. But um, we're going to get right into it. I have to ask you, what was your aha moment with cannabis? It could have been the start of your journey. It could have been, you know, one day you just spoke on the balcony and something hits you. It could have been taking an edible and being like, this isn't for me. What was the moment where things clicked for you as far as, okay, I want to begin to educate and speak up for this plant
1: wow well I think there were some smaller ones for my own personal realizations over the years like I think I first the first time I ever tried cannabis I was like 13 so I was this rebellious teenager like you know no one's telling me what to do but what that made me realize what that experience made me realize is that I wasn't being told the truth about what it would do to you You know, I mean, I was like, oh, this is actually not a big deal. And I actually, I tried cannabis before I ever drank. But when, when I did start trying alcohol, you know, maybe a couple of years later, I was like, wait a minute, (laughs) this is a lot more hardcore in terms of what it does to you than, you know, than the cannabis, like the effects. So there's those kinds of realizations. And even as in my rugby career, when I, you know, tried smoking after a game, in later years, it, like it was always just this occasional, you know, fun thing. But then it was like I, I had a click where I was like, I felt immediate relief in my body, and mm-hmm. not in a way where it shuts off the pain or deadens it. But I could actually just feel like almost like the anti-inflammatory functions starting to happen, easing like the pain lifting off. And
0: you don't like really, a fire really fire.
1: Yeah, it's like you, when when you're and when you're used to carrying around pain when you've been playing for some years and you have all these things that stay with you. don't even realize that burden until it like lifts up for a second and you're like oh i can like move better you know i feel better in my body but i would say in terms of speaking out my big aha moment was probably in the the fall of 2016. you know after that election i was very worried about what was happening (laughs) in the country and i'd been working in cannabis already but just quietly And then I got offered a position to, to manage a grow. And I was like, you know, Hmm, this is going to mean putting my name on this company, you know, like putting it on my resume, putting it out there and, and saying, I'm doing this. And I really felt like, Oh, can I swear? Am I allowed to say, fuck it? Like, that's how I felt, you know, like, uh, it was like, what's happening in the world. And it was my way of sort of resisting all the things that I felt were were wrong and have been wrong. Like my whole life, it was like, why is this plant illegal? You know? So it was like, we don't know what's happening with our government. We don't know what's happening next, but I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm just going to, I'm going to follow what I think is right. And, and sort of resist in my own way and fight for that. So that's when I started to speak out more and more.
0: I like that. We are another guest of ours, uh, Diop Schumann. He has said around the same time. It was around 2016, 2017 is when he really not only got into it, but got into it publicly. And I asked him something similar and I asked you, did you see it coming this far this fast? Because it's crazy to think that was only not even a full six years ago when you think about it because the election's in November. So that's not even a full six years ago. That's five and, you know, that's some change almost six years at this point. Did you see it coming this far this fast?
1: I mean, it feels like a lifetime since then, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, this. so, and we all, we always joke too, because I, because I've worked in the cannabis industry, not just, you know, have, having been an advocate, but I've actually held positions and, and such. And so, We always joke that cannabis years are like dog years because it puts you through so much stress every year, it's like seven years off your life kind of, but it does feel kind of like that. And at the same time, the progress is maddeningly slow. Like I remember listening to the vice presidential debates and I remember Kamala Harris saying, you know, we're going to legalize cannabis in some form. And we were all like, yeah, you said it, you said it. And now it's like, well, where's that? Arrests yeah. have actually gone up in some places for cannabis. You know, we haven't seen any sort of wide scale, like clemency. We haven't seen really anything safe banking. Like there's no movement. So on the one hand, so much has happened. And on the other hand, there's all these really important things that need to happen that haven't.
0: No, it is. It's is, It's definitely, it, it seems like one of those we talked about before, you know, getting on camera is one of those two steps forward, three steps back type of thing. And I, I got a feeling I, I know the next election is going to be a very, I think it is going to be at like the forefront of a lot of arguments, of a lot of discussions, of a lot of debates. But something tells me by the time we get to like 2030, it's it's going to be post-prohibition times when it comes to cannabis. I feel like it's going to be everywhere and it's almost going to be, I got a feeling we're starting to see like cannabis cafes. I One day I was driving, you know how during COVID, a lot of restaurants started to put the seating outside. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I was telling them, I was like, I could see this being the smoking section. You know what I mean? In certain cities, where it's just like, if you're sitting outside, you're allowed to consume cannabis while at a restaurant. But we'll see. But to kind of pivot, you know, away from the legislation and things around it, for you, what component of it is the most draws you in the most? Is it the health and wellness? Uh, is it the the physical, you know, attributes? Is it the mental attributes? Is it the emotional, spiritual? What about cannabis for you personally? Was like, no, this is this is it in many ways.
1: Uh, for me, cannabis is very much medicine, but I mean that in that broader sense. In the same way that things like sunlight are medicine. Is it helping you physically? Yes. Mentally? Yes. Spiritually? Yes. All of the above. Right. So, I mean, I've used cannabis at different times. I'll use it for different reasons. Um, It helped me a lot with sports, of course, after, especially as I got older and I'm still playing and I'm all beat up after a game, I need like pain relief. So it's this immediate physical thing that's helping me. But there have been other times that, you know, cannabis has given me like a mental perspective shift that you can get, right? Where you can, you sort of get a little distance from your situation and maybe a different viewpoint and, and you can get insights from that and yeah. so i think i i sort of listen to my intuition and if i feel you know if i feel drawn to consume cannabis then i do and if i feel like ah i'm cool i don't really i'm good right now then i don't you know and i know it's different for everybody i absolutely respect people who i think everyone has their own relationship right and yeah. so even if people just use it occasionally if people use it every day that's all cool with me like that's none of my business it's medicine and it's very personal you know
0: so for you you said you kind of go with your intuition is there any kind of uh routine yeah i mean some people like you said some people it's daily we've had people on the on the show say that they got you know a whole joint in the morning and a half a joint at lunch and a half a joint at dinner like is there a is there a set routine for you is there a limit for you or is it really just if i feel it cool if i don't i'm, I'm good
1: yeah. I'm not like super consistent, but I, I kind of go through phases sometimes, you know, where it's like, and, and a lot of it does depend on what my body needs to, and, you know, there's so much pain that comes with sports. A lot of those injuries, I mean, there's just echoes that stay with your body and the, over the years, those accumulate and you have them everywhere. And then just the regular process of aging on top of that. And so it depends on what I'm doing at the time, you know, if I'm really active or if I'm training really hard, you know, since I retired, I've been taking it pretty easy, but I'll have like little spurts where I'll start pursuing some goal. Like, like this winter, I started uh, learning how to body surf uh, in the waves and that's super fun, but it's like a really good workout. And also the waves can really kick your ass too. If you're, you know, some medium sized ones and stuff. So, I mean, um, just depending on like how much I hurt, you know, I might, I'll probably be drawn more towards relieving that with cannabis. Also, sometimes it's just, um, yeah, sometimes it's just more of a pleasant thing too. So I can be drawn to like, ah, oh, I'm having a cozy night and I'm going to just enhance my senses a little bit, you know? Sure. So yeah, I'm, I'm super inconsistent, but, uh, yeah, I just kind of go with the flow.
0: I, I noticed something while, while you were speaking, I've realized us having this conversation we get as an athlete because your body is it's everything you know what i mean it, it is it is the vehicle that uh that brings you happiness that brings you joy obviously make it to a certain point brings you money so we're we're aware of it much more than the average person is do you have any advice for somebody who isn't an athlete who's trying to figure out their relationship with cannabis. Because like I said, I I realized like between me and you, it's like, we know what it's like to be aware of an ache or be aware that, oh, this happened way back when, or my hip clicks because of, you know, in in college, I had an injury like this, as opposed to someone who, you know, didn't really pursue athletics. I got a feeling their relationship with their body. It it isn't like ours. Do you have any advice for people like that?
1: You know, I think we can get really disconnected from our bodies. A lot Mm -hmm. of times we seek to sort of escape you know, mentally, emotionally, and we distract ourselves with all kinds of different things. I'm not immune to that either, but I do think you're right. That when you, when you're really deep in, in athletics, you do develop this heightened awareness and connection with your body because you have to, in order to accomplish those things, you know, to, to call forth those performances, that mind body connection. But I do think I have this perspective on my body that could be useful to other people too, which is that my body is my home on this earth. You know, I am not just my body, you know, I'm a spirit too, but, but at the same time, my body is mine and it's special. And so, I mean, I I have to cherish it for all that it is. I mean, the good and the bad, the hard things, the pain too, they're all part of my body and my body does so much for me, you know? So I think, I think it can be really hard for us to learn to love and appreciate ourselves. And a big part of that is our bodies, because we're taught to judge them and say, you know, well, it doesn't do this. It doesn't look like this. It's not good enough. But ultimately, that's our home. You know, (laughs) to me, it's more home than any other, any building I could be in. And so to take care of your home, to love your home, I think maybe coming at it from that perspective the more that you actually like love yourself as in action, in practice, then probably the more you're opening yourself up to be connected. If that makes sense.
0: I love that. That's that's beautiful. That was that was one of the more sentimental moments we had on this show. I, like, <laughs> well, it's, it's like psychedelics. <laughs> You're involved with a lot of research, and that seems to be thing that's going kind of uh, unnoticed is how much more we have to discover about this plant and how much more we have to figure out. It's not like uh, what we are with liquor, where we're very aware of this does that, that does this. Boom, boom, boom. Obviously, it's a lot better than it was, you know, let's say in the 70s, but it seems to be a lot more research to be done on uh, the studies of cannabis. So number one, why get involved with that side? Number two, where do you think that's headed?
1: Yeah, well... It's frustrating in our culture because on the one hand, we have plenty of evidence. We have plenty of firsthand experiences Mm -hmm. of people with cannabis. We know it's safe. We know it's essentially safe. We kind of know what the risks are. But then we also have these decades of propaganda we're fighting against. So there's a strange stigma in place that's really blocking people from getting full benefits and it's criminalizing people in a racially disproportionate manner as well you know so there's social justice issues here there's medical and health equity issues and so to in our society to get mainstream acceptance as medicine we have to go through this route of doing these scientific studies and and so and, you know that's just kind of the way it is it's and and so even though we know cannabis is medicine, it always has been, we have to prove it using this particular structure. I'm all for people having access and people not being criminalized in any way for cannabis. And, and to make that happen more quickly, you know, we need the research showing it's safe, it's effective, et cetera. So, you know, doing what I can to help promote that, speed that process up. And then where do I think we're going? <sighs> we're just going too slowly, but I agree with you. We're gonna to get to full federal um, legalization of some sort. Um, it might be the way our country is going. It might be like a states, state by state thing still, but the federal government eventually says, okay, well we're federally stepping away. You know, we're not, it's decriminalized at the federal level, but each state gets to make their own law, rules and laws. I mean, to me, that's not good enough we're still going to see a lot of those same problems but um you know so i think a lot of that still has to be hashed out but i want to i want to hope that we're moving in the direction of greater freedom around the planet
0: today a lot of athletes around the world are using their platforms to normalize the sports cannabis conversation and help break the stigma so make sure you stay up to date with the latest in sports cannabis news and learn more about athletes leading the charge at www.sportscannabis.com dot we, we're at our halftime moment um for those who aren't familiar you take four minutes and 20 seconds to tell best worst favorite or first uh getting high story and like i said it, it could be whatever we've heard a few crazy ones we've heard about edibles on the plane uh and those two things that don't really mix well for a lot of people for some reason i'm on the opposite out of the fence, I think it's the best, but do you have first of all, do you have one that you have on top of the head?
1: I mean, so let's go with the worst one. I haven't really ever told this story publicly because it was like it wasn't was traumatizing. But yeah. Uh, I met some, I was out one night years ago, met some people I didn't really know, but i ended up, you know, going to a second location to hang out more afterwards. And uh you know, been drinking and all that stuff. It was younger years. I don't drink anymore. I just don't like it anymore. But smoke, of course, oh, pot, you know, I'll smoke some pot. It was enhanced with, with uh, you know, like what it turned out to be PCP. I just put those pieces together later because of the effects that I felt. But for those who are unfamiliar, it's a um, hallucinogenic sort of a feel as well as, I think, sort of a narcotic-y feel. I don't really do hard drugs, but but I have been on painkillers for sports, and you know that feeling where you're like, "Ping," I'm, I'm sort of, I'm high. I thought I was like in a movie theater, but it was just a living room with a big screen TV. <laughs> um, there was a, a real stressful time where I went in the bathroom for a while and I was freaking out. Uh, again, didn't really know these people so well, and didn't know what I had consumed. Uh, and also for all the the people who want to like say, oh, like. Pot is spiked with all these different things. I also want to make clear this is super rare. This happened to me one time in my whole life because of you know some a series of bad judgment calls that I made. So nobody is like really out there spiking people's pot. Again, I think you know these particular people just enjoyed maybe those other effects. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't know it was going to happen, and uh, it was a long stressful night. <laughs>
0: I mean, was it, how did you kind of just come down off of it or because I got to be honest, I think I've had some lace weed before. There was one time where I was looking at a tree and me and my friend we were both looking at the same tree and we had just smoked. And I was like, "Do you see the face. She was like, I do. So I was like, OK, this this is not just me. This is not just my mom playing tricks on me, but we just let it die down. Is that what you did or was it like
1: you saw a face?
0: A face in the tree. I was like, this is it. This is, this is some great weed, but this, I ain't never seen a face in anything. Was the face
1: or... like moving or was it just still?
0: No, it was just still. It was just still. And it's funny. Woke up the next morning, looked at the tree. No face. No face. But right. like I said, that night I was like, I think it was with something.
1: So I it was rough for me. So this was a strong experience. It didn't, uh, it didn't die down easily. Ended up eventually going outside and getting a little bit of air. So then eventually, I guess maybe over the course of some hours, a couple hours or something it died down and then I was able to fall asleep again on that couch. Just for the record, again, this is a crazy story. These are young, young years. This is like early 20s kind of nonsense. Uh, But definitely a learning experience, you know, that made me go like, oh, choices. We gotta pay (laughs) attention to our choices here. And it's absolutely possible, too, that they could have said something about like sherm or something that I just didn't know. You know what I mean? Like, but okay, I don't okay. think they had any bad intents. I think they were oh. just in, that was what they were enjoying. You know,
0: I would say that's the thing about leisure. We all look at it differently. You know what I mean? Some people, that's just the idea of a good time. I, I think you're right. You know what I mean? I, I think both of us can attest to the fact that stories like that, as fun as they are, later on in the moment, well, right after the moment, you're like, wow, that was a learning experience. You know what I mean? I don't want to yeah. be back in that position again. So shit, check your weed, man. Check your weed. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I, I have to, uh, we, we got to get back into it. And I, I want to jump right back into it with the, the Grow Your Own podcast.
1: Yeah. So we've been doing this really fun uh, video series with Uh, the Humboldt Seed Company, and it's me and three other growers from around the country, Penny Barthel, who's uh, in California, and she's like written a book about growing cannabis, Macy Brooks, who used to to play in the NFL, but now he's just like super dad, retired in the Midwest gardens. He's like so nice and funny and uh, also loves cannabis. (laughs) And then Zach Powers, who is he was in Florida. He was in Miami. I don't know if he's back in Oregon, but anyway, we're all all around the country, different climates, and so we had this challenge to grow auto flowers from seed. And, and everybody else is like more experienced than me, so I'm definitely the ugly duckling of the of this series of like like just doing you know underwatering, overwatering, like just taking this uh, loosey goosey approach to the cultivation. Yeah, the plants are flowering, they smell good. Um, they might even be smokable at some point. So I think for me, that's a win. They haven't died. It's on Instagram, so anybody who's interested can uh, check and follow along with our progress.
0: love that. You, it's, once again, this this ties into Diop's interview. He's also a cultivator and me and him, we're talking about uh, anyone who seems to deal with plants on, on that intimate of a level. Uh, y'all have a, a you seem to come out of it with a heightened system conscience when it comes to life and and nurturing and and uh, patience and things like that. So has has doing that the cultivating part being that has it changed the way you've looked at at life in general or anything or is it just kind of like no, oh, it's fun you know what I mean? It's just it's a hobby.
1: Uh, I think it definitely gives you some lessons like. I would find myself either obsessing over the plants and like messing with them too much or like neglecting them a little bit, you know? And so it's, you really want to find that balance of giving like a constant level of support that's sufficient, but not kind of overdoing your interventions with their natural growth. And I don't know, you could probably apply that to like kids or something too. I'm not a parent, but, or even your own self-growth, right? Like, Plant, you know, plants need a challenge. Wine grapes need to struggle a little bit. I think cannabis plants can need to struggle a little bit to make their nicest uh, expression sometimes. Like, and maybe humans do too.
0: Hold on, what? what why do you say that?
1: Oh uh, well, it's something that they have noticed in, um, you know, with like the wine grape example. It's it's a classic thing of like if you give them too easy and comfortable of a life, like plenty of water you know, they just have everything provided a lot of times the, the final result of the grapes, um, they're not like very vibrant. They're just sort of bland. They're just there, you know, they're, they're like fine. But when they make them struggle, when they give them like enough water to get by but not enough to just be really cushy the plants have to like work harder you know and they end up being um the flavors end up being more vibrant and i've heard the same with cannabis plants when people have compared sometimes indoor and outdoor cultivation methods you know where they've said like in outdoor cultivation you just get this wild card cuz the weather and the stresses that the natural environment puts on the plants can lead to really this kind of like exciting like dynamic plant outcomes and right. and yeah I think that with humans too you know it builds character as we say but to me that all sort of makes sense it kind of aligns that same principle
0: I gotta be honest I gotta do my research I didn't know about that oh that was a thing like I I knew it was a thing obviously to be true of humans and I think that is true it's a you know pressure makes diamonds or burst pipes you know what I mean like it's just it's it's gonna it's gonna happen it's what do you do when it gets there but um I didn't know that the same was true of plants that kind of I'm very big on universal laws, things that kind of apply to everything, the gray area that kind of runs over everything. I didn't realize that was one of them. What's the deal? Just to take a break from the Halftime Report, when I'm not doing this and I'm not talking to these athletes about moving the cannabis conversation forward, I'm getting into writing hosting other ways. And one of the things I'm most proud of to date is the book I released last year, What If the World Stopped Complaining About Mondays? based off the ted talk i can move mountains so if you get a chance you're looking for a good read definitely check that out on amazon.com or kindling just to be clear it's a self-help book but it is not going to make all your problems go away with a snap but it will start making you ask the right questions to the most important person speaking of plants though i think i first started following you one of the first things i had noticed was Our mutual friend, Riley Cote, which is the person I followed you through. This is the power of social media. I think he had just came back from one of the weight clinics. It was funny. I had met him around the time he had really started doing those, I guess, publicly or or at that level. And I noticed a shift in him. Like I saw it in like over a matter of months. He just, something just lifted off of him. Um, And... I'm pretty sure I started following you around the time because y'all were speaking on a panel about it. So first question is, how familiar, if at all, are you with psychedelics?
1: Uh, I would say I'm quite familiar with psychedelics, um, both the research, which I stay up on. And then, um, you know, personally with a few different medicines and also now my work with the Etheridge Foundation involves, you know, funding research for particular ethnobotanicals that are often psychedelic um, in their, you know, medicinal effects. So, yeah, I, I'd say I'm pretty familiar.
0: I just started the, the thing on, on Netflix they just put up.
1: How to change your mind.
0: Yes, yes, with the psychedelics. Thing. How to change your yeah. mind. And, you know, they were talking about it means mind manifestation. And I'll just come out and say that I've done magic mushrooms several times at this point, And it changed and it changed me for the better. It unlocks certain doors, it helps with certain things, it help relieve certain traumas. And I went into it because I heard of how Native American cultures, which is in my lineage, like most black people in America, uh, in Native American cultures, it, it is a powerful tool if used the right way. So that's why I say it's that thin line. That is my overarching feel on psychedelics. So I'm asking, what's yours?
1: Oh, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think you point out a couple really important things. And one is the potential that they have as, as kind of a double-edged sword or something that could go either way. Like, like so many things, what, what is the difference between a medicine and a drug? This is a really good question, right? And I think like so many other things in life, it, depends on both intention and outcome. And then to some degree on the substance itself, like some things really lend themselves toward healing, other substances don't so much. Um, and so when we do have these powerful medicines, especially traditional indigenous medicines, like you pointed out, those have used been used ceremonially, right? So when you talk about the way that it's used, I think it can be really important to have like a container for that, like I think medicines can be used as drugs, whether that is a pharmaceutical or a fungi, or you know, we can use them to um, escape and distract. We can use them to inspire ourselves to do bad things. Even you know, I think I've heard people say that. I mean, to get really dark, there was a study they did in Canada in the seventies on like a, a psychopath unit of, in the prison. It was just all hardcore psychopaths that were segregated to their own. And uh, they gave them LSD because it was the 70s. And they're like, yeah, let's, you know, what they found out, they were hopeful that would teach them to like learn empathy and connect with the universe and other humans. But what they learned was that it taught them to be better psychopaths. It taught them to more easily mimic empathy and connection, but to actually be more sophisticated in their manipulations because it didn't change who they essentially were. And and that's an extreme example. But I, I think another key point about a medicine is It's just this tool for growth and healing if you want it. And so that's why intentions are so important and intentions don't guarantee outcomes, but they really set that direction that you're pursuing, you know, that you're putting your energy into. So I think they can absolutely be misused and they're not a magical solution by any means. Um, I also think like when humans, when we use distractions to escape and disconnect from our lives, instead of integrating ourselves into like, you know, expanding our lives, and we're sort of escaping away. I don't personally think that's the most healthy thing. And we use all kinds of things to do that. You know, we could use something like cannabis or psychedelics, we could use food, work, television, the internet, you know, All these other things. So, yeah, I think I really agree with you. There's such promise there, but it's not a guaranteed thing. It's just this amazing opportunity that we have to connect with these medicines. But I think a part of that is is acknowledging and honoring and reciprocating the indigenous roots of the knowledge and the stewardship of these plants. You know, whether that is mushrooms, ayahuasca, ibogaine. You know, you name it there's whole cultures who have spent generations cultivating this relationship with the plants and, and the knowledge that we're using now for these scientific trials we've based, you know, and so there is a balance that needs to be carefully paid attention to and respected and nurtured.
0: So so how is, how is uh, Etheridge involved with this?
1: Yeah, well, we're a newer nonprofit. I just came on this year. So far, we have funded two grants for studies. And our mission is specifically focused on opioid use disorder. You know, Melissa Etheridge is a musical legend and she's a cultural icon, but she's also a human being and she's a mom. And just over two years ago, she lost her son to opioids and he was just 21. And, you know, he had been injured as a teenager uh, in a snowboarding, you know, accident and that got him hooked on painkillers. Like so many people, like, you know, we see where they're prescribed opioids and that it latches into them. And that was the start of a lot of problems. And although, you know, his family obviously had resources for treatment and great facilities, it wasn't effective for him. And, you know, like it is for so many people. And so, you know, uh, his death was devastating for his family and in the aftermath of all that, Melissa, she wanted to put the love that she has for him and that, that energy towards finding new answers, you know, and she's a believer in plant medicine. She's experienced some plant medicines herself and understands their healing potential. And there's, like you pointed out, there's all this research that people don't know about. And so what we want to do is help speed up that process any way we can So, um, you know, we, we did a grant for a study with Ibogaine and opioid use disorder that's happening in Spain and one for psilocybin magic mushrooms um, and opioid use disorder that's happening in Wisconsin. And we have some other great stuff on the horizon, but, you know, these are clinical trials. They're in actual human beings. So we're really trying to push this into the place where we get mainstream acceptance because we don't want these plants to be criminalized um, and we want people to have access. And that includes the people with the least resources, you know, the people who need the most help. Um, And so really, that's that's a huge project that so many people are working on worldwide. And so we're just um, honored to be a part of it and helping support that work.
0: To wrap up, let's talk about the time to heal.
1: Yeah, the clemency petition. Oh, President Biden's probably not listening to this podcast, but if you are, Joe. I mean, you made us some promises, we the people, and and part of that is righting the wrongs of the drug war. You know, cannabis is not dangerous, and you know that people have been locked up for it unjustly. It's destroyed an individuals' lives, but also families and communities, especially disproportionately the Black community, which has been unfairly targeted. You know, there's there's data showing that racial groups use cannabis roughly the same across all different racial groups. And yet, you know, a black person is almost four times more likely to be arrested for cannabis than a white person, you know, nationwide average doubt. Some States, the disparity is even worse. I mean, and so that's, that's an injustice on top of an injustice. Right. And, you know, it's beyond time to end the drug war. People are, are suffering. People are sitting in jail for decades for $20 of cannabis, literally selling, you know, $20 worth. That's, a mockery when we live in this world where we have multi-million dollar companies now, right? Selling, cultivating cannabis, selling it. I, I mean, I know that we have a lot going on as a country. <laughs> America is very divided, but this is just something that's too painful to keep ignoring. And it has, is, you know, it keeps getting left on the back burner and out of sight, out of mind. And so, you know, we need activism more than ever. We need to keep agitating for, Clemency and release of people who are in prison for cannabis and decriminalization at the federal level.
0: I I just realized how much further we have to go with this shit. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for that. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for educating, too. I, I learned I learned a lot. I learned a lot during this one. Hey,
1: anyway. You are a gracious host. Uh, I really appreciate the chance to talk about these are really thoughtful questions and to open up a little bit. And uh, and I appreciate you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining us. This has been another episode of the Halftime Report Powered by Sports Cannabis. We appreciate you for getting on here, being vulnerable, sharing your stories, having a very candid, infused conversation and all the information you provided our listeners with. Make sure to follow her movement at Exit Drug. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Halftime Report. Make sure y'all tune in next week at 4.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for another candid episode. I'm your host, D-Ray, and we hope y'all have a highly infused week. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the thehalftimereport.sc or you can check us out at www.sportscannabis.ca Y'all be cool.